Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. You doing good? Good deal. Do you guys survive the... Uh... The, the cold weather uh, this morning. Did anybody survive the frost? Jack Frost come visit us. I'm upset because I don't like cold weather and I hate winters. So I was not happy uh, this morning. Oh, if you're a first time guest with us or new with us, I'm Kevin, the lead pastor here. We have two campuses, one in Richmond uh, and then also uh, one here. And today I'll get the chance to go to Richmond and share the word of God with them as well. Um, if you weren't here Wednesday, we got to baptize 11 people who took their next step with Jesus. Um, amen. And so far this year, um, we've had 78 people uh, between both campuses that have been water baptized and taken their next step with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a, that's a big deal for us here. We believe that, we, uh, that, that people taking next steps with Jesus are very important. And so we're excited what God's doing. Um, also, too, if you're in need of food, let's say, man, you're going through a tough time and you're struggling some. Um, our food ministry team also wants to help those who have needs on Sundays. Um, and so today, one of our food team members will be um, right there uh, where the cafe sign is at in the back after church. If you want to stop by and say, I need some help with food, uh, they'll be back there to help you out. So if there's any needs that you have, uh, they will be back at the sign so we can help you as well. Well, we're in week three of Death to Selfie. The whole idea of this series is how do I live God first in a me first world? How do I live God first in a me first world? And today we're going to look at two ladies um, who... uh, Shamefully enough, we're married to Jacob, poor ladies. And you go and turn your copy of God's Word to Genesis 29, verse 1. Genesis 29, verse 1. Um, Early on in in my life as a believer and as a youth pastor... I really thought that if I just tried hard enough and, and, and tried to modify my behavior enough, that I could really make it happen. And one thing I found was that the harder I tried sometimes to be good and try to do things right, what happened? I, 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 I couldn't do it. And many times I would teach behavior modification. I taught students, get your junk out of your trunk. You know, get the skeletons out of the closet. And I always taught students to stop doing stuff, but I never taught them what to do. And I realized that in Christianity, Jesus didn't come to just modify our behavior. Do you understand that the, 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 the role and the goal of the gospel is not to make you a good person? Does that make sense? It's not just to follow Ten Commandments and be good and not do anything wrong. The goal of the gospel is to make you whole. To change you from the inside out. The way the gospel works is God changes your heart and then your life changes. Right? It's not like, well, if I just, you know, stop doing this and start doing this and start, I'll be a really good Christian. The goal is for the Holy Spirit to grip your heart and change your life. The goal is to be whole. And that's why Jesus came. That's the difference between other religions. Other religions teach you do this and do that, try to be good or try to do this. But God says you can't be good enough. You can't do it. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do it through you if you'll let me. Everything that I am today is because of the grace of God. It's not because Kevin's just such a good guy. So the, the goal of the gospel is not morality and being good and doing good. You know, it, it's funny, uh, in, in Matthew 7, uh, verses 19 through 21, it's not in your notes, uh, Jesus says to those who come to him, and supposedly this is the, the thought Jesus was saying uh, at judgment, 
say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we cast out devils and do many stuff? We did lots of work. And Jesus said, he'll say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. See, the goal as a believer is not, if I can just just stop doing this, then, then, then I'll really be good. The goal of the believer is to know Jesus. And as you know Jesus on a deeper, intimate level, then Jesus changes your life. It's not you trying to do good and Jesus saying, okay, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. It's getting somebody close to Jesus and letting Jesus change their life. And so today, I want you to understand, the goal for our lives is to be whole, not just look at behaviors alone, because there's people who have right behaviors, but wrong motivations for the behaviors. Will somebody say amen in here? Right? And so the passage we're going to look at today, it gets a little West Virginian. It's a, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's like, you know, some cousins kissing. It's uh, thousands of years ago and, you know, and things like that. They had, they had many wives and then men realized that, that you can't handle one. How could, you know, how could you handle more than that? And men begin to die early. See, men didn't live like 30 years old back then because they had, they had so many wives. They realized I could live a lot longer if I just had one wife. Um, but we'll, we'll look today and we'll, we'll take the focus off Jacob a little bit and focus on Leah and Rachel who were his wives. And what you're going to see in this passage is, is that they're both competing and trying their best to fill voids in their life with stuff because they weren't whole. And we'll do the same thing in our life. And I want you to look at this here in this passage. It's a very long passage of scripture. Many of you did not read your Bibles this week. Um, right? Just be, be honest. So you get all your scripture for the week. You get five verses per day just to all these scriptures today. You know I'm kidding, but no, I'm really not. Um, let's read. Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance, and three flocks of sheep and goats lay in the open field beside it, waiting to be watered. So you have animals ready to be watered. And a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well, if you can imagine that. It was custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before moving the stone and watering the animals. And you didn't want to get debris and trash and dead animals in there, so that's why they they left the stone on top of the well. And afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Verse 4, so Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, where are you from, from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man uh, there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? He asked, yes, we do. Um, Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yes, he's doing very well. And look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. So Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they can get back to the pasture? And they said in verse 8, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. Then the shepherds, all the shepherds, we got this now, moved the stone from the mouth of the well. So these you know, eight shepherds, whatever they were, several shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well. And, and, and we water all the sheep and the goats. So Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And look at verse 10. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, uh, his mother's brother, which is not cool, um, he, and because the sheep and the goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from the mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Did you see what just happened there? He sees this girl coming from a distance. It takes like several shepherds to move this this stone, right? Jacob sees her and he's like, he gets the strength of ten men. He wants to impress the girl and he picks the stone up and moves it himself. It's amazing what a young man will do when he sees that girl. Of course, he wasn't very young then, but he's an elderly man. But he moved that stone. And then watch this here in verse 11. It gets really strange. Don't, young men do not attempt this. All right? 
because it doesn't, I don't, I don't think it works, but it worked for him. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. <laughs> I told you he was a little effeminate, right? I mean, that's how Jacob was. He was just, he, 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 I mean, he really was the guy that could paint and do art and he was really good with those things. And so he moves the stone, uh, scrawny Jacob moves it, throws it, and then he goes and kisses this girl and then starts weeping. Oh, I have found my love at first sight. He's so dramatic. But it worked for this dude. I would never try that. Deanna would have punched me in the head, but um, with that. Verse 12, he explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side. That's more against him, but I guess that worked too. Um, again, it's kind of a little West Virginia, right, Alan? So the son of her aunt, Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father, Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew, Jacob, had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him home. And that day, you know, it was like a cultural kiss, so it wasn't getting, you know, it, it's just cultural. Um, and then Jacob, um, and when Jacob had told his story, Laban exclaimed, you are really my own flesh and blood. And Jacob stayed with Laban for about a month. And Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was named Rachel. And I like this, the New Living Translation is very kind to Leah, but it says, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. I like the King James says she had weak eyes. There is really no other way to translate this. She just didn't have it going on. (laughs) Rachel had dates for prom. Leah didn't. Weak eyes. I mean, you know, add it up. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. That that dude really liked her a lot, right? I ain't working seven, seven years. Good Lord. Verse 19, that's a long time. Thanks, seven years. Um, 19 says, agree, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay uh, and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. I want you to realize something about Laban too. He hugged him, he kissed him, he brought him in and said really good things to him. Not everybody who's good to you is good for you. And not everybody who kisses you and tells you how good you are are on your side. They could actually be an enemy. And that's kind of what happened here. He, he got bought into it and boom, you know, he kind of got sucked in. I don't see what happens here though. And we'll look at uh, um, verse, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed only like a few days. Oh, <laughs> that's what the ladies all say that. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me what my wife so I can sleep with her. Because <laughs> they, 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 there was a, there wasn't premarital sex in that day and time, you know, you, at all. So, like, his seven years, it was like, man, he, he was waiting, which is awesome, to the marriage day, which, as we, which we should do. And verse 22, so Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, and this is where the story takes a turn, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. He got Jacob drunk, is what Laban did. Wedding feast, lots of wine. He got really drunk. He had no clue. And so he, he, he makes a scheme because there's no way he's ever going to marry Leah off. And she's the older sister. So Laban's thinking, 
I can trick this guy. They'll consummate, boom, it's done, he's married to her. I can get rid of Leah um, easily here. So here's, here's what happens here. And he, he took her to her, and, um, and, and he said, and Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's funny. The guy, his name is Deceiver. His name is Trickster, right? Jacob, the trickster got tricked. The one who, see, you can't get away in life tricking everybody else and then eventually it doesn't come back to get you. I'm just saying. And here's what happened here for him. It cost him a lot of years. What have you done to me? I worked seven years for Rachel. And why have you tricked me? Verse 26. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. I wish you'd have told me that seven years ago. All right? Verse 27. But wait until the bridal week is over. Watch this. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Sounds good, right? Hold on. Provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. The ladies ought to be saying all because this dude really liked Rachel, right? 14 years for this one person before he could ever even marry her. Um, A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel uh, too. He had to work seven years though. And then um, and Rachel had a servant named Bilhah to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too and he loved her much more than Leah. Say, oh, poor weak-eyed Leah. So Then he stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. But when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has noticed my misery and how my husband, and and now my husband will love me. That's very important. Don't you realize something? Now he's going to love me because I can do something for him. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. And she named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloving and has given me unloved and given me another son. She, he never loved her as many children as she had for him. Producing the children wasn't giving her what she wanted. She thought if I get these children to this guy, he's really going to love me. Then 34 says she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son and his name was Levi for she said, surely this time, get this, my husband will feel affection for me since I've given him three sons. And once again Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a another son. She named him Judah for she said, now I will praise the Lord. <laughs> and I will, then she stopped having children. <laughs> what you see in this passage here and we're going to look at, at Rachel as well. You see two ladies trying to gain something they didn't have by works. Trying to get approval and trying to get love by doing things. See, When we're broken inside and we face something broken inside of us, we will try to work to get things. If I get the promotion, then I'll feel complete. If I just have that person, then I'll feel whole. If I could just have this, then I would be, what is yours? If I only had this, then I'd be that. Have you ever noticed once you get that, it gets old? (laughs) And then you're looking for the next that? And you're looking for the next thing. And the job that you had the whole prayer team praying for you about. And the prayer chain going. You get the job and three years later you hate it. And you're ready for the next job. The guy who was so amazing when you were dating two years into it. You're like, man, we need some serious counseling because this ain't working. And that happens. Because 
the goal is to be whole. If you're whole, no matter where you're at or what you have, you're content. Doesn't mean you don't look for other jobs. Doesn't mean you, you, you don't try to better your marriage by getting counseling and things. But you stop looking for things to fill that void in your heart. If I can just find the right church, there's no perfect church, there's no right church. Because eventually you get tired of it. Eventually this little bald-headed man gets annoying and you're like, I'm just tired and I don't want this anymore. See, you got to realize that finally Jacob met his match in life. The trickster got tricked. The trickster got tricked. And in life, if you pursue things for the wrong reasons, it will eventually come back to bite you. And that's what happened with all the people in this story. Let, let, let me just say this real quick before we move on to the, to the ladies. In life, don't be a Jacob. Don't be a Jacob. Jacob, because of his decisions, ended up next to Leah. Here's a story, not in the Bible, but, but, but of a man who was told by a builder, he said, don't you build a house for me. He gave him all the, the tools to build the house. He gave him all the stuff to build the house. He says, I'm really excited because my wife and I are going to live in this house. And we build this house. He says, sure, I'll build this house for you. And over time, the, the, the guy who was building the house for this rich man got really kind of ugh, tired of doing this. And started making shortcuts. Took shortcuts. He said, I, I think I can do this in half the time. And I'll do you know, a little less. I'll, I'll, I'll curve here, curve there. And he really built a shoddy house. Shoddy. That's what I just said. Here, Nate. Uh, shoddy. Um, house. And he built this, this house that was just cut corners, wasn't done to code, wasn't done correctly. And the rich man comes back and says, man, thank you for building this for me. Yeah, man, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I put my heart into it, man. Did everything I got? He says, awesome, because this is your house you get to live in. Just realize in life, let's take a moment look at Jacob. You're always building the house you will live in with the decisions that you make. And Jacob, we're like, wow, man, Laban did him wrong. No, Jacob deserved that because that's what Jacob did his whole life. And you have three main characters here. You have Jacob, you have Rachel, and you have Leah that we're looking at here. And Leah and Rachel were facing internal struggles. See, Leah wasn't loved but could have children. Rachel was loved but couldn't have any children. Get it? Leah could have children, wasn't loved. And so both of them were struggling internally. And Leah thought, if I just did more, then I'd really get the love that I need. Rachel thought, man, if I could just have some children, I'd really get the love that I need. And I want you to realize what happens. This is what happens in life when we get wounded deep down inside that affects the drive of why we do what we do. We get rejected, so we're going to prove everybody wrong in life. I want you to see how, man, I could do this. Man, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And our drive is wrong for the reason that we're doing it because we were rejected as a, a, a kid. And the drive of what we do becomes wrong because of the things that we face in life. And what I want to do today is look at two unhealthy drives that can sabotage God's plans for our lives. We look at these, these uh, ladies here. One is this. The first drive is this. It's the drive for approval, as I just said. The drive for approval. The drive for approval. As we just read here, Leah kept having children and doing what? Now my husband's going to love me. Now I'll get the affection that I need. If I just do a little more. If I just do a little more. See, Rachel and Leah both wanted to earn affection and approval from having the children they were 
having. See, you've got to realize something in life, guys. Stop trying to win the approval of a bunch of jacked up Jacobs who never going to love you anyway. Right. Did you hear that? Stop trying to win the approval of a bunch of jacked up Jacobs who are not going to approve you anyway. Stop looking for the approval from people that you don't even need their approval from. Your neighbors, oh, they got that nice car. I need to get a nice car. It don't matter. They don't. You're trying to impress people that don't matter anyway. Uh, seeking and looking for approval. And today, some of you feel unloved. You feel lonely. And you felt the pain of being rejected. I want you to realize something about God. He chooses the people that the, Lord, that the world rejects. He chooses the people the world never wants. If you've ever been rejected, if you've ever felt unloved or lonely or, man, I'm just not good enough, you're looking for approval, the Lord will choose you if you'll respond to him. And the Lord will use you. My whole life was a story of rejection. If you look at the Bible, it's a story of rejection. Jesus himself came to earth to, to the very people he created. He created them. He loved them. What did they do? They crucified and rejected them. If you're going to be used by God, you can't look for approval from the people you don't need approval from. And that's what was happening here with Leah and Rachel. See, the, the, the Lord is the God of the widow and the orphan. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the one who chooses the one that nobody else wants. And he sees your, your pain. If you're going through this internally and you're struggling with this, God sees it and God knows it. And what I love about the gospel is this, is that if you're in Jesus, if you surrender to Jesus and you love Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, he approves of you. You get that? That's what the gospel's about. He approves of you. If you're in Christ, you have the righteousness of God. And when you really understand that God loves me, God loves me with everything that he has, and you know you're loved and a child of the king, then you don't live for approval, you live from that approval. As I said before to you guys, it's like a child who goes to play a baseball game. Does he go to try to hit home runs to, for his dad to approve him? Or does he understand whether he strikes out or hit home runs, his dad already approves of him? And you've been in a little league game, some kids don't have approval. I want you to understand, no matter if you strike out or you're hitting home runs, God's not like, yeah, you struck out, I don't approve of you. He approves of you. And when you understand that God approves you and listen to this, you'll stop looking for everybody else to give you the approval that only God can give you. The goal is to be whole. And when you understand you have approval from the Lord, it causes you in your life to stop looking for the approval from people like Leah and Rachel were doing. Here's the second unhealthy drive today. The second unhealthy drive. It's okay so far? That's all I got. So if it's not, man, you've wasted your time at Thrive today. I'm sorry. Um, The the second drive is this. It's achievement. Achievement. Approval and achievement. Approval and achievement. Genesis 30 says this. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister and she pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? He's the one who has kept you from having, that's pretty mean. He's the one who kept you from having children. See, Rachel thought if she just had some children, it would fulfill her life. If she just had some children, it would fulfill her life. As I said before, there are things in your life that you really want. And you feel like if I just get to that point, if I just have this, then I'll be okay. And once we get the very thing we're searching for, what happens? We're not content in 
side. It may be the new job, the new promotion, the new position, the new spouse, the new car. I mean, do you understand that the new car smell wears off, don't it? Right? And you have to put the little Christmas trees in there and make it smell good because it doesn't smell like a new car anymore. It smells, it smells bad. So achievement in life will never fulfill the longing in our heart. And what happens many times, even in our marriages, in our jobs, we are expecting the person to fill a void that only God can fill. And you're upset with them because they're not giving you what they can never give you and only God can give you. See, let's just say this real quick. When, when you're a couple, they don't, you don't complete each other. You have different types of marriage. Let me just share this real quick. You, you have some marriages that, that are very independent, not good. You, you're just coexisting. No intimacy. You have some that are A marriages. You just, you're leaned up against each other. And you go, oh, I need you and I need you. And you eventually will fall, both fall off because you can't do what the person needs. You just no way you can do it. And what you need is, is a marriage where both people find their identity in Jesus Christ. You know, um, I went through the past three years of losing my mom and my dad. And I'm a pretty you know, relative young guy. I'm 36. I think I'm, I'm young. And I lost them at, you know, at a pretty early age. And they were an integral part of my life. And my mom and dad loved me unconditionally. They see me at my worst. They see me at my best. And they love me all throughout that. I'm telling you something that I struggled with that I had to deal with over the past two years, past three years. I got to a place where I felt like I had no one that really loved me anymore. I love my wife, but she'll never love me like, like, like my mama loved me. Mama's going to say, that's right. And, and, you know, and, I, and I would discuss these things with her. I had this void in my heart. And I even began to, to blame her. Like, well, you know, oh man, I just don't feel loved. Like, you know, you know, and we were talking about this stuff. And I realized it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do right here. And here's the transition I had to make in my life. Is that when I lost mom and dad and that void of human love was left. I had to then tap into and really find out. Do I know the love of God or I just talk about the love of God? And I had to realize that his love for me. His love for me is what completes my life. I can't get it from her. I couldn't get it from them. That was just something that was masking the whole idea of what, I, what true love really is. It's the Lord. There's no person that can fill that void. And what I found in my life in ministry was that my whole life I always try to get approval from people. I wanted to please people. People to see what I was doing, an achievement. And when I when I planted the the, the first uh, church in Florida, when I planted my first church there, I'll be honest with you, I wanted my denominational leaders I was under then to 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 give me applause of what I was doing. I was saying, "Oh, had a boy, man! Oh, you're doing so good." And I never heard anybody tell me I was doing good. And I got angry. I got upset. And I got mad. And I heard this illustration that I've used before. I'm going to use this again. But there's a show called The Voice. You've seen, everybody seen The Voice before? You know, there, there, there's a singer up there. There's three chairs turned around. And then if they like the singer, what they're going to do is they're going to hit their button and they're going to flip around. And when CeeLo was doing it, he would hit his button and flip around and do this. You know? You know CeeLo? He had the little arms. <laughs> 
And uh, if you don't know CeeLo, Google CeeLo. But they would, and so if they liked the singer, they would, they would hit the button and they would turn around and say, I want you on my team. And it was really cool, wasn't it, when all of them turned around because they all wanted the singer. And what I realized in life, I was living my whole life waiting for somebody to hit the button to turn around and say, I approve of you. What you're doing is good. And I really, really love you. And here's what I had to realize. I want you to realize this today that that will curb the unhealthy drive. Jesus had already turned around in the chair on the cross. He had already approved of me. And that's the greatest approval that I ever needed. And when I came here to Virginia, let me tell you something. I just didn't care if anybody said good job. Because I'm living for him and his love. I didn't care if anybody ever turned around. We were were the fastest growing church in 2013. We were the fastest growing in America. Nobody ever noticed it. You know what? I don't care. Because none of those people matter. I, you know, I, and I'm on this journey. I'm not, I'm not fixed, and none of us are. But the goal is to be whole, right? The goal is to be whole. And when you find wholeness in Jesus, and you'll brutally confront your drives in life of why you're doing what you're doing, and how your childhood affected it, and what you're doing in life, when you brutally look at that, and you get down to the nitty-gritty in life, you'll find out that your drives for things are driven out of the wrong motives. And it's many times because we haven't really found and met the love of Jesus. See, if Rachel and Leah would have known that, man, God loves me. Maybe I can't have children. Maybe I can have a bunch of children. But it doesn't matter what I can do or how many I can have because the Lord really loves me. And and, and when you find that, that love, that is wholeness. That is wholeness. See, the goal is to be whole. Jesus just didn't come for you to act good. I mean, it's good to act good. Man, it's good. Yeah, I mean, you should act good. But he didn't come to see you to act good. He came to make you whole. He came to take the broken pieces of our hearts and our life that nobody can fix and he can mend them back together. I was the most insecure, anger, and defensive little man in the world when I got saved. Man, I used to fight and hit people and I was just angry. And then Jesus got a hold of me. I remember school teachers like, man, you changed so much. It's like, I didn't change anything. Jesus changed me. And the more I realize his love, the more I feel the wholeness of the Lord that changes my life. Today, I want you to realize that everybody in here is affected by this. That all of us have areas of our heart and our life. And I didn't even realize when my mom and dad were living how much I was leaning on their love instead of the love of God. When they were taken out, then I had had to... I was out in the open again. Okay, God. I'm trying... My my wife's got to fill that void. No, 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 she doesn't. The Lord fills that void. And I found wholeness in my life and a peace that no one could give me. If you will, stand to your feet this morning. As you stand to your feet, just uh, I want to pray for you today before our worship team leads us. And they're going to lead us in a song in a second, saying, Lord, I need you. And this song is so appropriate because it's a time for you in the deep recesses of your heart to say, God, help me be whole in you. Help me be whole in Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these beautiful people today. Lord, you would help all of us. We're all on this journey, Lord. 
Maybe we're looking for achievement and approval from other people and other things. But Lord, today, may you make us whole. May you fill our hearts through your love that we won't look for anything else in life to complete us except for you. That everybody else that comes along in our life can enjoy us more because we're whole in you. I pray today for those who feel rejected, who feel alone, who feel unloved, who feel like nobody wants them, who feel like they're not good enough, who feel all those things. I pray for them today that as we sing and worship that the Holy Spirit would birth and and birth the, the reality of the love that you have for them in their hearts, God. And may we be whole in you. May you mend the broken places of our hearts, God. We love you and we praise you, dear Jesus. Church, if you will right now, I want you just to worship with the team. Take this time right now, listen to me, and worship and ask the Lord to fill those voids in your heart.